Well, I find this rather interesting. When's the last time that the announcements related to the message? Isn't that amazing? About acts of love? About Samaritan's purses or acts of love? What amazing thing, because the title of my, of my message is All We Need Is Love? Question mark. Isn't that fast? I've never seen that happen where the announcements actually reflect the message here. So, so all we need is love, question mark. You remember back in the 1960s, we had that song by the Beatles, All We Need Is Love, da, 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 all we need is love, yeah, all we need is love. Or what's love got to do with it, Tina Turner, the little songs there. So love properly understood, though, is really a rare commodity in our society. The word love has become an abstract concept whereby we send love vibrations or wish good tidings coming away. You know, in the news the other day, they had this thing about, we need to counteract all these murders. I know, it says a brand new ministry called Love One Another. What an original title. And it wasn't a religious organization. And the whole point was to send love vibes to overcome the negative vibes. So they invited one person who was involved in this movement said, yes, we need to have love vibes to overcome the evil vibes in our society. I thought, oh, that's great. Let's keep love, the concept of love in the abstract, in the obscure, in the paranormal. Let's bring it down from the... Par By the way, let's see if that works. Do you feel my love? It's not working, is it? We need to take it from the paranormal to the normal, from the abstract to the concrete, from the obscure to the open. So we're going to look at love today. And, you know, uh, really, in reality, much of what passes as love today is self-love. I love you for what I can get out of the relationship. I love you for what you can do for me. So it's not really love. It's more like a, a, an idea of self-love. So now Messiah Yeshua enhances the mitzvah to love your neighbor as yourself. So take out your Bibles. We're actually going to go concrete here. We're going to look at what love is rather than the obscure. Let's look at John chapter 13. <clears throat> John chapter 13. We'll be reading from verses 31 to 38. Now, this is in the context of this is during the, the, the Pesach, the Passover season, and they're at the meal, and this is just after, after, uh, after we find that, uh, that we have a betrayal. Judas is, uh, Iscariot has left the dinner table. When he left, Yeshua said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and will glorify him again. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, in the next two verses, it looks like it's out in the middle of nowhere. And if you're not careful, you will miss the import of these next two verses. In the middle of saying someone's going to betray me, listen to these next two verses carefully. Let's exegete these next two verses here, if you will. I give you a new command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. We are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, Peter gets this. Verse 30, Lord, Shimon and Kepha said to him, Where are you going? Yeshua answered, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter asked, Why can't I follow you now? 
I will lay down my life for you. And other gospel versions that said all the disciples said the same thing. Yeshua said, replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So when you look at this passage, it looks like love is a middle, like why is love a new commandment in the middle of all this talk about betrayal, uh, of a pending uh, trial and uh, crucifixion? We're going to take a look at that. So the, the context, of course, is a pending a Passover where Messiah Yeshua reveals betrayal and his sacrifice upon a tree. Now, so again, he says, a little shall with you a little bit longer. Verse 33, you will seek me, as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And he goes on to say, that by definition, verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, here's my question for all of you. Here's a question for you. A new mitzvah? What do you mean a new commandment to love one another? Wait a bit, a new commandment? I thought there was already an existing commandment about loving. Well, embedded within this pericope about the pending arrest, trial, and crucifixion, and resurrection is a new commandment. So now, so what's fascinating is we do see Yeshua expressing his love by sacrificially laying down his life for his disciples. And isn't it interesting that Peter was the only one of all the disciples, you know, Peter gets, uh, gets wrapped lots of times for doing the wrong thing, but yet, in many cases where he's uh, accused, he also comes out on top. Like, for instance, we say, yeah, Peter, he doubted he sunk in the sea. Yeah, but how many people walked on water? Just Peter and Yeshua. Or here, he said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. What did he do when, when Malchus, when the slave came up near Yeshua, took a sword out and sliced off his ear? So at least he had the willingness, so at least he had the, the twice he had the willingness to actually do what he said he was going to do. He understood the fact that Yeshua was talking about a, a sacrifice here. So, but we do see that he does at least attempt to do so. So Yeshua was talking about self-sacrificial love. Let me say that again. Self-sacrificial love of Yeshua. So if we put in the word sacrifice or sacrificially, let me read to you as I put in the words. The new commandment I give to you that you sacrificially love one another even as I have loved sacrificially you, that you also love sacrificially one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have self-sacrificial love for one another. Now, elsewhere, Yeshua spoke earlier about laying down his life sacrificially. In John 10, 11, I'm just going to read a few clips from that. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture verses. You might want to just listen up because I'm going to be giving you an awful lot here today. So John 10, 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, a father loves me because I lay down my life so they take it up again. No one, has a, no one will take it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. We see in John 15, 12, which is, which is a, a, a similar passage. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Okay? This is my commandment, verse 17, that you love one another. There are some other passages in Brit Shah later on that was written concerning this that, that kind of shed some light. At first, we might say, why is this new? Like in 1 John 3, 11, it says, For this is a message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So he's seeing a pattern here. I lay down my life so that we might emulate that. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love just as Messiah also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, a new commandment. So a new, a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you? Was Yeshua abolishing Leviticus 19.18? Or was he doing something else? Is it not affirmed in Mark 12? Remember in Mark 12 when one of the scribes came and said, what's the, the, the best, what's the foremost commandment of all? And Yeshua said, the foremost is, that we know about the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, etc. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these two. So is he circumventing this commandment, or is he doing it? Is he abolishing it? What's he doing with this? We're going to look at how self-sacrifice works in this. In Luke 10, this version of, of the same passage of what we commonly call the Good Samaritan, the scribe wished to exonerate himself and his lack of loving his neighbor by asking this question. And just who exactly is my neighbor? He wished to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? So the definition of who is my neighbor is defined in verses 36 and 37 of Luke 10. Which of these three do you prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell to the robbers? And by the way, it says which of these three in Luke 10, 36 do you prove to be is a perfect indicative verb. It's, it's an action that took place here in the past. It continues out into the future. Which man proved to be a neighbor? And of course, the, the per, it's interesting we call it the Good Samaritan. Would any person in Yeshua's day considered good and Samaritan in the same sentence? Absolutely not. There's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. Now, so our English verses have the Good Samaritan. That's not in the text, actually. But it's fascinating that you have a, a, a priest, a Levitical priest, and then you expect maybe another Jewish person, but a Gentile, a Samaritan of all people. And so, of course, it says, which one of these proved to be a good neighbor? In verse 37, the man says, the one, he didn't say the Samaritan, he couldn't say it. The, I can't say it. The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Yeshua said, go, present imperative, do the same, present imperative again, a command, a command to do it always. Go and do. So the neighbor was anyone that he runs across, go and do. So the scribe's neighbor is not just someone who is the same ethnicity, not someone you know, not someone familiar, not someone next door, but anyone, even an enemy, who is in need of mercy. Now, so this definition kind of bothers us, doesn't it? It's not sufficient to answer the clarion call to so prove it be the neighbor, does it? We want to have some options. We desire maybe we know that person, familiarity. Maybe a friend, maybe a close by, but a stranger, an enemy, and yet we're called to do that. So another auxiliary commandment that Yeshua taught is related in Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the Torah and the prophets, stated positively. Or as Rabbi Hillel is reportedly in the Talmud said, that which is hateful to you, do not do to another. This is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Go study. So whichever you want to prefer, whether you want Hillel or Yeshua, both of them are saying treat people the same you want them to treat them, or the other way is to say whatever is hateful for you, don't do to your neighbor. Again, that ties self to your neighbor. So being a responsible 
merciful and loving neighbors thus found the principle, whatever is considered harmful or hateful to do for you, don't do to your neighbor, or whatever is considered beneficial to you, do to your neighbor. So let's turn to Leviticus 19 for a moment and take a look at this and see what's going on here. Why did Yeshua call this a new commandment if we have the command to love your neighbor in Leviticus 19.18? Well, in Leviticus 19.18, Vayikra chapter 19, verse 9, we're going to read, by the way, some things in Leviticus 19 that the word love never appears. It doesn't mean there's no love. It certainly shows love. Here's the first one, verse 9. When you reap the harvest from your land, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvests, nor shall you glean from your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Not reaping the very corner of the field or taking all the fruit from the tree demonstrates loving the vulnerable. That is love in action. Not this, I'm shooting this rays of positive thoughts toward you. None of that. This is this is concrete evidence of your demonstration of love. Or out in Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. Dealing honestly and fairly speaks the truth, demonstrates loving one another. Now, none of, none of these things are new to us, but you know the problem is, sometimes we can know passages so well, we forget the import. We get used to them. We We let them gloss, we gloss right over. We don't even see them anymore. Well, we can also look at Leviticus 19, verses 15. You should not do no, no injustice. Uh, you're to judge your neighbor fairly. You're not to slander your people. You're not to act against the life of your neighbor. All these demonstrate fairly judging without impartiality demonstrates loving one another. And then verse 17, you shall not love your fellow, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not curse him because of him. So in other words, don't harbor hate towards your, your neighbor. And then verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, uh, so, the last, uh, so we see that this is not achieving the purpose if we hate our enemy. And then we can go on. There's said several others in Leviticus 19, uh, 33. And this is actually something very interesting. I really love this one here, but it's really, it's bothersome to some of us. When a stranger, someone from another country who's living in your country, resides with you in a land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger resides with you, shall be as the native among you. Watch this. Ready? You shall love him as yourself. What? Some person I don't even know from another country moved here. I'm the loving as myself. Exactly. Wow. This may be more shocking than loving your neighbor. So let's look at neighborly love in action, not dripping with sentimentality. We don't want sentimentality or emotions dripping. We want to see some concrete evidence. And so in my, my PowerPoint slide there, I have love scales. So if you imagine a scale, there's love for neighbor and love for self. If I love my neighbor as much as myself, I have to treat my neighbor as I want to be treated. So as is a word of comparison or equality. As yourself. So what happens if it gets out of balance? If I love myself too much, there, go, there goes the neighbor. I'm not going to love my neighbor. I'm concerned about how I love myself. And so much of love today, the balance is out of scale. You have too much love for self and the neighbor doesn't get much of any love. 
Or if you love yourself too little, you may not want to help your neighbor. So concerning these things, let's look throughout the scripture. I'm going to give some examples here. Some positive acts of demonstrated love. Then we're going to look at the negative side of things. First, let's look at the positive acts of demonstrated love. Number one, demonstrated love toward the stranger. Deuteronomy 10.18, the Lord shows his love for the alien by getting him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. This is empathy leading to action. Isn't it interesting how often God used the Exodus event to tell his people, you know what it's like, so therefore treat your neighbor. If you've been there, you create, there's, there's empathy here. Now you understand personally. So throughout the scripture, he uses the Exodus event as a catapult for expressing our empathy toward our neighbor, which leads to genuine love toward our neighbor. I think that's fascinating. This is done all throughout Deuteronomy. For you are an alien land of Egypt, therefore you know how it's like. Number two, love opens his hands toward the vulnerable. We read that one about Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in the field, do not uh, forget that if you left a sheep in the field, you should not go to back to get it. Or if you left grapes, it shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. In order that, there's a purpose, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. This is the same thing for the olive tree and the grapes. Don't go back and get it. Leave it. It's expressing love for the vulnerable. Don't be worried about the prophet here. There's some left behind. Leave it for the vulnerable. Number two, love opens his hands toward the vulnerable. Number three, love values your neighbor's property. Deuteronomy 22, 1. This is a, the next two passages here are just really gems, I think. We might not see the import, but let's, we'll see if we can. You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep strain and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring it back to your countrymen. If your countryman is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house. It shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. Thus you should do with his donkey. You shall do the same thing with his garment or whatever else is lost by your countryman, which he has lost and you have found. You are not allowed to neglect them. Number three, love values your neighbor's property. You know, you know what? Built into these passages, you could agree or not agree, is self-sacrifice. If you see your neighbor's donkey strain, and their day, they had animals, of course, you're not to leave it go, go free or ox. You're to take it here, you take time out of your busy schedule, you tether it, bring it to your stall, you feed it, there's sacrifice. You give it water, there's sacrifice of your material possessions, of your time, of everything. You are expressing love to someone you may not even know. Whoa, we're seeing that this is love in action. And of course, we can think today, well, if your neighbor had a missing dog or cat, you found it. You, know, you can see any kind of thing, but it said also if you left your garment or anything else. You know, the original lost and found. Number four, love for one's enemy ignores being aloof. Here's a similar passage, and this is even of greater value. Exodus 23, 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its heavy load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. In other words, don't be aloof. You help this animal. If you meet your enemy's ox or donkey, Return it to your enemy? Wait a minute. Okay, I might be able to see maybe my neighbor, maybe a friend I know, but my enemy? My enemy? Yes, your enemy. 
So again, love is being expressed toward even your enemy. Number five, love is devoted to your neighbor and honors him. From the Brit Shah from Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So be devoted to one another and give preference. Number five, love is devoted to your neighbor and honors him. Six, love attempts to please and edify his neighbor. Romans 15, 2, each of us must is to please his neighbor for his own good, for his edification. Notice it didn't say each of them is to please himself for his own good, his own edification. Did it say that? No, please his neighbor for his good to his edification. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. Again, pleasing and edifying his neighbor. Number seven, love tolerates our neighbor's shortcomings and covers sin. From Ephesians 4.1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk a manner worthy of the calling, which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. In 1 Peter 4.8, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. Did you know by, by forgiving your brother? You're covering over a multitude of sins. It's love being expressed. So unlike the love of the world, which says, well, just send positive thoughts, or I love you just saying that, and really being really ethereal up there, or being abstract, this is concrete love. Number eight, love promotes unification with his neighbor, not divides. Colossians 3.12, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should do. Beyond all this, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. I like verse 14, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity, because it ties together all these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another. It ties all this together. Sometimes we want to think, we want to narrow and define love in a small category, but love really should be pavement material. We should be walking on love as if it was pavement. We should continually be walking in love rather than just seeking our own self-interest and selfishness. Number nine, love seeks the welfare of his neighbor for his good. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another, for all people. In 2 Timothy 2.1, is kind of an interesting thing. This sounds like he's talking about our generation, but really in every generation. Listen to this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, going on down, unloving, going down this list, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at that. Lovers of self. A person who's actually claiming I love you may actually be in the throes of loving himself. And that's what the danger comes in thinking that we know what love is all about. Number 10, love maintains a good conscience towards your neighbor. In 1 Timothy 1.5, but the goal of our instruction is, from a, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Number 11, love demonstrates hospitality in Hebrews 13.1. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So we looked at some negative or some positive examples. There's some negative examples as well. Number one, taking advantage of a stranger and vulnerable. Exodus 22.21, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Hear that emotion? You hear that empathy calling out? Don't wrong a stranger and oppress him. It's so easy to do, isn't it? If there's somebody from another country, really easy to take advantage of that person. You may not overtly do it, but you may neglect his needs or be aloof from him. In Exodus 23.9, you shall not oppress a stranger. So the same kind of things, for you know the feelings of a stranger. Number two, following a mob in wrong decisions. Exodus 23.2, you're not to follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in speech so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his disputes. First part of that says don't follow a multitude. Don't follow a multitude. Number three, profiting off another leads to his ruin. That's another negative one. And Amos 2.6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, for four I will not revoke its punishment. For they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. You know, we see all throughout the, it's interesting how, how some of these great tennis shoes these guys are wearing, many of these tennis shoes were made in sweatshops overseas. It's really, a, a, and it's now coming to light, and there's some people trying to prevent that from happening to not profiting over someone else in their poverty. Number four, complacency over assisting the needy. Amos 6.1. And I'm going to say it the way you're familiar with. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure. And it goes on and talks about that those who recline in beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches, they eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the stall, who improvise the sound of the harp, and like David has composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from the sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oil. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They have no concern uh, over the needy. There's complacency. I think there's a lot of complacency in our society, isn't there? Over people not loving. You see, I'm hoping this message becomes really a point of application for us all. Because it's really easy to say we love somebody, but it's another, really, another plane to actually do what we say we actually are saying. So number five is lying to one's neighbor. Isaiah 59.3. Lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speaks lies. Or like Jeremiah said, uh, uh, that truth has died in the streets. We're living a time now when there's misinformation, isn't there? All over the place. All kinds of things you can find on the internet that may not be accurate. Here, lying to one's neighbor. In Ephesians 4.25, speak truth to each one of you as with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In the Kehillah, we are all one member here at Beth Messiah. Number six, dishonest business practices. Deuteronomy 25, 13, you shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a full and just weight. For everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination of the Lord your God. You're not showing much love, are you, if you're doing a business practice that's cheating? That seems kind of obvious, but it's easy it's easy to see how we can actually uh, uh, deceive ourselves in thinking we're being loving or charitable when, in fact, we're not. And so dishonest business practice is number six. Number seven, love does no harm to his neighbor. From Romans 13, 8, 
owe nothing to anyone except, except, except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the obligation of Torah. For thus he shall not commit murder, he shall not commit murder, he shall not steal, covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that word, as yourself? You are to love him as yourself, not loving yourself more, make that balance out of balance. And then verse 10 in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the Torah. Love your neighbor. And these are not, these are not some abstract ideas. These are concrete examples of love doing no harm to his labor, neighbor. Number eight, love does not act with hypocrisy. Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Number nine, love does not show partiality in James 2, 8. However, if you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So love doesn't show any partiality. And that's really easy to slip, isn't it? Or there's a person that comes in your in your workplace that you think you might get some more money off of it or, or maybe get some perks or some something like that. You might treat him better than someone else that comes in that has nothing to offer to you. And that's why I have to be very careful about partiality. Number 10, love does not withhold assistance to a vulnerable person. 1 John 3, 17, but whoever, sees, whoever has the world's goods sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with the tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, we all are familiar with these concepts, but we need to be reminded over and over and over again of the same material because it's easy for us to get out of kilter with our walk of love. Now, we've been talking about love, but some positive and negative things. You know, there's actually hindrances to sacrificial love, and I'm actually only going to pick one. Remember our love scale, okay? So love for myself and love for neighbor. If I love my neighbor as much as Yeshua loves me, then I will love my neighbor more than, my, more than myself, but as Yeshua loves me. So there's this idea of as Yeshua loves me, so I love my fellow brother. Here's the first, uh, first one I'm going to use to tonight, today is the deception of self-love is this. See if this doesn't fit on uh, for our, our community today, uh, for our society today. Here's the first one. Insistence upon my own rights. It's my right. Ooh-ooh. If we are using that card, it's my rights. What we are doing is your first step in walking away from walking in love. Because now I'm not loving as myself. I'm loving myself more. Because by just insisting upon my rights, what about the other person over here? Does my freedom to do something negate that person over there? And there's all kinds of things. Don't be thinking in terms of mask or vaccination. Think about all kinds of things that goes on. We could talk about things like when they put up the sukkah. How many of us want to go out there and put, take it down? Some do, some don't. But we need to make sure that we walk out there. But if you start saying, you know... <laughs> I've done all this other stuff. Really, I don't need to do it. Someone else will do it. We're probably stepping on the wrong direction. But here, the point I want to make is the deception of my rights is too real. 
Insisting upon one's rights is not a modern problem. It's persisted throughout history. It has not. You could probably think of scripture references. For instance, in Genesis 13, 7, you remember the story of Avraham and Lot. Here, God gave Avram the entire land, it's yours. But there is squabbling between the herdsmen of Lot and Avram. And Avram, who had it all, who was given the whole land, came up and said, Lot, you know, uh, let's not have any the, the bickering between our herdsmen. Please separate from me if to the left, and I will go to the right, or to the right, and I'll go to the left. He gave up his right, that particular right of that particular land for Lot to choose. He gave up his rights. How about Joseph? He sacrificed his personal right for revenge. Joseph uh, said, I am your brother Joseph, he of soldier Egypt. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And what happened when the people thought, oh no, he, our father's dead, he's going to think now he can ex extract revenge. You know, our father, before he died, says, please forgive our brother. And Joseph wept and said, he said, you shall live in the land of Goshen. There I will provide for you. He gave up his right for revenge. Yodotar, Jonathan, sacrificed his future as king to support David. I think this is one of the beautiful stories in Scripture that often gets left out. In, uh, in 1 Samuel 20, we see that, that uh, Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to them, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of, of Jesse, David, to do your own shame? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your king will be established. There's as long as you support David, you won't be king one day. So what, what does Yonatan do? It says here that Yonatan loved David as himself. In verse 18.1, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan, the prince, the king apparent, stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and gave him his armor, including a sword and his bow and his belt. So in verse, verse 17, Jonathan made David a vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. He set aside his potential to be the future king of Israel to support David because he realized that God had chosen him to be the next king. There's self-sacrifice and laying down his rights, uh, his perceived rights there. Now, in a Brit saw Rav Shaul sacrificed, uh, sacrificed food rights for his weaker brother. Rights of the individual in Romans 8 9. But take care, lest this liberty of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone eats, you see, eating meat sacrifice to idols will not as conscious be, uh, be uh, uh, he, he'll be weakened, he'll be strengthened to eat things sacrifice to idols. And so by sinning against a brother because of your rights and wounding their conscience when he's weak, you sin against the Messiah. So here's the self sacrificing part. Paul says in Romans 8.13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, true indeed, the context is that your brother won't stumble, but the point is you're sacrificing something if it causes harm to another. We need to look at that big principle because sometimes we look so closely at the detail that we don't see the bigger picture. The bigger picture here is the fact we're looking to forest, not the individual trees now. Whatever you do, if it causes your brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it anymore. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage in Romans 8. The Corinthian believers are not to insist upon their own legal rights by suing their fellow believer. 1 Corinthians 6.1, does anyone have a case? 
against his neighbor, dare go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Actually, then it's already defeat for you. And you have lost each one another. And in verse 7, he says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? In other words, don't take a brother to court. Yes, you may lose. But if you take your court, your business to court against an unbeliever, two believers before an unbeliever, it's a defeat for you already. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. How does that show love when you're suing one another? That doesn't fly. Now, I know there may be some extenuating circumstances and things like that, but the point here is we need to be very careful what we do to our neighbor, particularly when it's in front of unbelievers, right? So you're sacrificing personal rights by not giving a lawsuit in Paul's days. So let's return to the question I posed in John 13, 34. Let's go back. I'm reeling myself back in. In John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also should love one another. So, what does new mean if Leviticus 19, 18 is still in play? What does it mean? Why this love called new? So love for one's neighbor and love for, love for the stranger as yourself has, has been attested for in Leviticus 19, 18, in 1934. Love for your neighbors demonstrated by not neglecting a stray ox or donkey in Deuteronomy 22. Greater love for your enemy by not, uh, by not, by actually helping it up under, under its own load is an example of Exodus 22, 5 of loving your enemy. Love for the vulnerable, the widow, and the orphan is attested for in, in, in Exodus 22. This, is this a makeover? Is new a makeover? Or is a remodeled commandment or misvote? Is there a new mitzvah or something completely new? So what constitutes new? Now, John seems to connect Leviticus 19.18 with John 13.34 and 1 John 2.7 later on. This is interesting. 1 John 2.7. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard, i.e. Leviticus 19.18. On the other hand, I am writing you a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, John 13.34. Because the darkness is passing away and true light is always shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother, those in the Kihila, those in our congregation, is in a darkness until now. So here, let me define here. What makes new, new, the new commandment? The level of self-sacrifice and the model of emulation. Again, the level of self-sacrifice and the model of emulation. In other words, Yeshua, not myself. So if we look at the scale of justice again, now this is fascinating. If you look at, if you have your Bible, turn to John 15, 9 for a minute. John 15, 9. I want you to look at this because this is, this is very important. And then we'll look at a couple more. John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. With the same love the Father has loved me, I'm going to love you. The son's love for his disciples in John 15, 12, a few verses down, also echoed in John 13, 34. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I has loved you. So just like if you had to scale again, the father's love for the son, the father's love for Yeshua, the father's love for the father. See that balanced out? The son's love for disciples. Yeshua has love for his disciples. We're to have love for one another. It's in balance. It's a balanced scale. 
We get in trouble when we start thinking about what I can, what, what other person can do for me. So to love your neighbor as yourself has been elevated to as I have loved you. Not just yourself. It's still there, but now on a higher plane. As yourself is elevated to a higher, more costlier, stronger love exemplified by the love with Yeshua has demonstrated for us. Just as a father loves the son and Yeshua loves his disciples, so just as we ought to love one another. Again, that balance scales. Now here's the potential for self-deception. We can imagine we're loving my, my neighbor and we're thinking we're loving our neighbor, but in fact, I'm really thinking now, how much do I, how much do I really want to love that person? How much is it going to cost me? Is it going to cost me time? Is it going to cost me money? Is it going to cost me my reputation? What's it going to cost me? That's when you know you're being deceived and not loving your neighbor. So if you limit how much love to your neighbor based on those things, you're really not loving the same love Yeshua has. Because how much did Yeshua love you? He, he allowed himself to be nailed to a tree for your sins and mine. Wow, that's pretty awesome love. If Yeshua has that kind of love for his disciples, what does that imply for us that we should do to one another? Be willing. You notice I said the word willing. Not always is it going to be a self-sacrifice, but it might be. Be willing to lay down your life. Greater man is no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. The potential is there. It may not be realized, but it's still there. We might have to. Now, by the way, does that happen today? Absolutely. In China. They, they're putting cameras inside of all the local underground churches in order to spy on people. The ones who don't have a camera, who haven't been closed down, they'll arrest the pastor, come up in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the pastor giving his message, and they'll come up and they arrest him. Click, arrest his hand, take him out. And they said, you know, we'll let you go, but just give us the names of all your congregate members. We'll let you go. Well, self-love would say, oh, if I give those number, those names, will you release them? Yeah, okay, here we go. He's saving his skin. But what, what do these pastors do? I'm laying down my life for my friends. I am not going to reveal the members of my congregation. This is an example. So this kind of thing happens a lot in the, in the world which we're living because right now there are more persecutions going on than ever before. By the way, tomorrow is the International Day of Persecuted uh, uh, Believers around the world as tomorrow is a National Day of Prayer for the persecuted. So the potential for self-deception is real. Like the scribe who asked Yeshua, who is my neighbor? We may, we may ask, well, who is my neighbor? So Yeshua says, as I love you, speaks of the potential for self-sacrifice. And Yeshua models this for his disciples. There's a level of sacrifice. And there's email in the, 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 uh, the modeling, Yeshua modeling for his disciples who he is and who we should become. So while it's true that the context for a new commandment focuses on fellow believers, fellow Yeshua followers, it does not mean exclusively limited to our own. This is what Paul said in Galatians 6, 9 to 10. Let us not grow, uh, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, so what's, what's all this about? While we have the opportunity, notice it says while we have the opportunity, let's stop it for a minute. We will all have the same opportunity for the same kinds of things to, to love other people. There's people in your lives that I can't reach or I won't be able to reach. 
Not everyone is called to reach the same person with the same kind of love, but each one of us can have something to do. While we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, all people, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So Leviticus 19.18 is still in play, except now we're raising the bar to as Yeshua. Does Yeshua love this person over here who's not a believer? He sure may. He surely does. He can express, you can express his love through acts uh, of love. So to what extent are we to love our neighbor? Well, how far has Yeshua shown his love toward us? So John provides the answer using the same new commandment. Greater love than it has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So um, the next few slides, I'll, I'll enter our mes my message on this. How can we demonstrate concrete love of the invisible Yeshua for one another without ourselves becoming his visible hands and feet? He's invisible. We can't see Yeshua. But we can express that love through tangible people, you and I. So I think a model uh, it can, we can use is found in Matthew 25. It uh, illustrates how sacrificial love is concretized or demonstrated by the sheep while the love remains abstract by the ghosts. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 25, 35 to 46, and we'll be ending on these next few slides here. This is where, where we come down to the nitty-gritty. I want this to be concrete. I don't want us to go away and say, oh, we need to love one another. Yeah, I need to do that. Let's look at some concrete ways. The, the, the uh, announcements was full of opportunities to express love, doesn't it? In Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. Verse 36. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous way answered, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty? When do we see you a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison? The king will answer, say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least was considered least brethren of mine, you did to me. Conversely, should I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of these, in verse 45, you did not do it to me. So we're looking at you did it to me versus you did not do it to me. If we're going to love the way Yeshua loved, let's see some examples. Okay, I was hungry. Volunteer at a food bank. Use meal tray. We've, we have meal tray here that we use for people who who, uh, who cannot get up and cook, and so we have a meal train. I participate in that. Maybe you should consider doing that. Provide a homeless person a meal. Now, I know all the things. Oh, yeah, there's a homeless person. He's probably got a lot of money stashed. He's just, just a ruse. There may be, but guess what? Ask the Lord to open your eyes and be sensitive to who he may have you share. I ask that prayer, Lord, open my eyes to see. And recently, there's a man who I saw and was going on the way on the work, I saw a man in, in a storefront before the, the place was open, and he was sleeping there with a blanket. He was a homeless person. The next day I saw him there, and the Lord had already opened my eyes to see him, and, and, and the Ruach HaKodesh basically said, here's, here's your opportunity to share with him. I came and gave him a meal. There's an example of someone that, that we don't even know, but you're expressing, and what you want to do is to say, you know, I'm providing this meal, but this is really the Lord giving you this meal. You're attaching it to the Lord himself, giving them a meal. It's as an example. There's other things you can do for, for feeding. You can feed the hungry in different ways. So I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You know, Jewish Voice Ministries with Jonathan Burns has was called Straws for Life. That, you, that they can stick to water and, and, and suck up some of the water and take some impurities out. 
so that's called Straws for Life. We've donated that before in different ministries. Provide water, soda for sanitation workers. You know, it's, uh, it's something that, that, that's, that I've never forgotten. When I was probably 11 or 12, we lived in Naha, Okinawa. And they had sanitation workers by the local people. They came by the trash, and while the rest of the people were yelling, ah, you're not doing your job, ah, you know, just horrible things to them. My dad would take a table out, set it down, go back and get some RC cola, and I'd put it in the thing. And the garbage men come by. We called them garbage men back then. They're sanitation workers now. They came by, and my father would hand out RC colas to complete trees, and they were delighted. He did that every week for two years. He didn't know any of those people, but I was thirsty. Now, he didn't know if any of these people were believers or not, but he did anyway. He gave, he gave something to drink. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Again, think of concrete ways. I was a stranger. Provide a ride to an elderly. Uh, invite an immigrant to a holiday event in your home. I was naked. Uh, uh, volunteered a uh, at a clothing bank. I worked at a clothing bank when I was in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, that's an experience I'll never forget. Uh, working in a clothing bank. Provide a care package with clothing. Uh, Sylvia mentioned about Samaritan's Purse, about donating something that's going to be a care package to people uh, that may have some clothing or cooking utensils. Voice of the Martyrs has something every year about that. You give a, a package, you, you stuff it full of blankets and cooking pots and all kinds of stuff. Samaritan's Purse, other things. I was naked and clothed. I was sick. Give blood or plasma at the blood bank. You know, they're saying right now at the Red Cross that they need blood really badly because of COVID-19. Give blood or plasma. Visit a sick congregational member at a hospital or convalescent facility or hospice. You can do all kinds of things of that sort. I was in prison. Kairos Prison Ministry. You can participate in writing uh, words of encouragement, right? Write words of encouragement to them, or even uh, perhaps might even volunteer for a ministry. There's an example. Or write letters to persecuted believers uh, through a voice of a martyr. We can actually write down a, a paragraph of encouragement and they'll interpret it into Farsi and give it to someone like, for instance, in Iran. Something like that. See, these are concrete, not abstract out here, concrete, normal. Take it out of the paranormal to the normal. So things like Kairos prison ministry or Voice of the Martyrs. I was in prison. You visited me. So the new self-sacrificial love of Yeshua, a new commandment I give to you that you sacrificially love one another even as I have loved sacrificially you that you also love sacrificially one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have the same doctrine. Did it say that? Oh, wait a minute. By this, you will know that they will know you're my disciples if you all agree to hate the things that, that, that is not good, that you love sacrificially one for another. Let me close by reading something from Craig Keener from the Gospel of John Commentary, Volume 2, about this very same passage. Fantastic. Uh, Craig Keener, anything Craig Keener writes is going to be superlative. Uh, it says, what, what is new here is the standard for this love. As I have loved you, by laying down his life for others, Yeshua loved the disciples more than his own life. John's terms of personal comparison, particularly kathus, are all underlying the force of the demand. It implies both the Yeshua's relationship with his father, as the father's love, he's our love, so he loved you, and to that of his disciples with himself. 
The latter often modeled Yeshua's relationship with his father. He goes on to say, uh, now imitation of God includes the imitation of Yeshua the servant, specifically of his mortal self-sacrifice. He gives one commandment, are you ready for this? That will define his community. Let me say that again. He gives one new commandment that will define his community to love one another. Uh, and I find it interesting. It says here that uh, John's report of Yeshua's teaching here is distinctive among extant gospels, extant meaning uh, is currently living, existing. Mark reports uh, Yeshua's teachings about loving everybody in Mark 12, 31. Other sources claim that Yeshua applied love of neighbor cross-culturally from Luke 10, which makes sense of the broader context of Leviticus 19.18. And then it goes on, but John specifically emphasizes his own people. By contrast, John's tradition focuses on internal community cohesion as do references to loving one's fellow as oneself as in the Dead Sea Scrolls. His purely positive statement contrasts with explicit Qumran exhortations on love members of the community but hate those outside. Now, there's a Qumran society that says you hate, your, hate those outside your community. Yeshua is stressing in a positive to love those within your own community with sacrificial love. I think, I mean, let me just read this again. He gives one new commandment that will define his community. How is Beth Messiah being defined? Do the people in the outside world see us loving one another and also loving our neighbor? I hope so. Any community, any kihila, uh, any congregational out there, uh, membership out there, hopefully they're being known by what they're doing in terms of love. Love can be expressed in many ways, but let's keep it on the level of, of doing rather than just speaking, rather than just sitting here and doing this. I still open up one like this. Instead, we are the feet and hands of Yeshua. Most like what happened during World War II, a certain city had, had their church bombed, the Gothic church. The hands and feet of Yeshua were blown off. And they're deciding whether to, to remake it, remake hands and feet. They decide, no, let's do this way. Let's keep his hands and feet blown off because we are his hands and we are his feet. A new commandment. Why new? The level of sacrifice and the person you're emulating. That you love one another. What? Like myself? No, greater. As Yeshua has loved you, 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 you. Then they will know by this love for one another that you are my disciples. Strong words for us. Words that we need to hear from time to time. So let's close in a word of prayer. Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King, we are grateful that you've given us a new commandment. New in the idea of the level of sacrifice and the person we emulate. A new mitzvah. A new mitzvah to love one another as Yeshua has loved us. Fathers, we get ready to go out into the world through our jobs, leisure activities, all kinds of activities, sporting events. Father, when you have an opportunity, let's do good to all men, particularly those who are of the household of faith. Father, we're thankful that you've given us this new identity, that we're to be recognized as a community it's being defined by a community of love for one another as Yeshua has loved us. Father, may we count, may, may we count the cost in terms of being a disciple of Yeshua. But on the other hand, 
let's not do so much counting of the cost when it comes to loving our neighbor. Let us love in word and deed and action. And let us avoid the subtle trap of thinking and considering love as some some sentimental, uh, paranormal activity that we all wish good feelings towards somebody and yet have no demonstrable act of love being shown or presented to them. May we love one another as Yeshua has loved us. Bashim Yeshua, in Yeshua's name. And everyone said, Amen.